if you're looking at this idea today as a, as a farmer, there are 600 farmers you can go to and sit down at the table and say, how does this thing work? My name is Darby Bradley, I live in Callis, and I was involved with the land trust early on. I did the legal work to set it up and get its tax exempt status in 1977, and then I joined the staff in 1981. And when the founder, Rick Carbon, left, I became the president of the organization. Can you imagine Vermont without rolling pastures, dotted with Holsteins and vibrant hardwood forests that light up red, orange, and yellow each fall? Can you imagine a Vermont summer without local farmers markets and green mountains? I know I can't. However, with the rapid expansion of built human environments across the state and country over the last century, how does Vermont continue to support local farmers and maintain its natural beauty for generations to come? Nearly 20% of all Vermont land is conserved. Who is behind this? One answer, the Vermont Land Trust. The Vermont Land Trust now has over 2,000 conservation easements. Uh, I would guess that at least half of those parcels of land are no longer owned by the people that we originally worked with. Somebody later who in a few cases might be in the same family, might have been involved in the initial discussions, but I think in most cases it's a new new person. Welcome to Mud Season, a podcast that cuts through the mud. I'm your host, Leah Kelleher, and today we hear the story of how the Vermont Land Trust has changed lives of local Vermonters for over 40 years. We are joined by Darby Bradley as he speaks about his experiences working with local Vermont communities while with the Land Trust. Mud Season is brought to you by the Center for Research on Vermont, supporting Vermont-related research and engaging storytelling within the Vermont Laboratory. Land conservation is an act of partnership. It's a landowner and the land trust coming together and agreeing on the goals, and, and the landowner saying, I can't be for here forever. I want the land trust to be my partner to, to see that my goals are carried out over time. Since 1977, the Vermont Land Trust has worked to protect forests and farmland from development in the hopes that future generations can enjoy local farming, clean water, maple sugaring, and other outdoor recreation. Using conservation easements, the Land Trust permanently restricts development in an area and protects that area's natural features. Conserving more than 1,900 pieces of land covering 570,000 acres, which is equivalent to 10% of the state, the Land Trust has become a model for stewardship in Vermont. Most of this land is privately owned, actively farmed, or important community spaces, such as community gardens, local parks, and favorite swimming spots. In the mid-70s, Act 250 existed... Uh, some regulations, uh, state regulations, existed to control development, and towns had the authority to adopt town plans and also adopt zoning and subdivision regulations. Act 250 and local regulations were not necessarily going to achieve an outcome that we wanted. We really wanted to preserve agriculture and large tracts of forest land for recreation and timber production and support the forest products industry and support wildlife and recreation. We needed to do something more. That led to the creation of the, of the land trust. 
if you ask what's the thing that made the biggest difference for land conservation in Vermont, I would say it was hooking up with affordable housing organizations and, and others. In 1987, the Housing and Conservation Coalition formed to create a single fund that addressed both affordable housing and land conservation. Now, the Vermont Housing and Conservation Board works to ensure that current and future generations of Vermonters can afford housing and farmland. It was a kind of a brilliant moment. At one level, if you look at housing and open space, the two things conflict. Housing cancels open space and open space precludes housing. And so how could these two things fit? Well, if you take it up a level and ask yourself, well, what is it, what does a community need? It needs housing, it needs open space, it needs agriculture, it needs job opportunities, it needs uh, wildlife habitat, recreation. And so it caused all of us to think more in terms of what does a community need as opposed to what is our mission of our organization. And we began to look for opportunities to work together. Sometimes we would do a farm project near a village and we would deliberately keep out of that project a piece of land that would then become available for affordable housing. And at about that time, the community land trusts, which were interested in affordable housing, were also beginning to emerge. And they were, they were, we were both organizations were fighting kind of this land, the rising land prices during the, the mid-80s. And they needed support to accomplish their results. And I think they felt, yeah, we, we can bring in some other resources, but without some core public support, we were not going to accomplish our goals of providing affordable housing for low- and middle-income Vermonters. When going through the process of conserving land, the Land Trust recognizes the importance of getting community members involved with a project. Since conservation projects are permanent, the Land Trust focuses on building strong, positive relationships with landowners. There's a, there's a whole community effort that occurs with a local steering committee, local fundraising, and the Land Trust is still involved in finding other resources and sort of managing the project, but there's a, a local element. It took a long time to win the, the trust of the farm community. I think they were very suspicious. The Housing Conservation Trust Fund was created in 1987, and it really wasn't until the early 90s that a few people had come forward and had gone through the process, and others learned about it at the kitchen table. And that's, that's really where the proof is, is that if you've, if you've won the confidence of the people that you've worked with, it really it's paying attention to that relationship with people, uh, and it means engagement, and it, it becomes fun. Landowners, I know this, uh, look forward to the annual visit by the, the person who's monitoring the easements. At the same time, at the same time, um, more and more owners in Vermont didn't grow up on a farm or in a tradition of managing land. And so a lot of people who buy forest land really don't know what they have or what the potential is. And, and logging operations look messy and they're, you know, and maybe they're damaging the forest. But, but if you, and they don't see in their mind's eye what this forest will look like in 20 years. Uh, if, if you do this now, what it will become. So you need people like the, the land trust, the consulting foresters and others 
to spend time with them out in the field, talking about what is here, what, what could be here down the, down the road. And that's really part of the fun of, the, of, of it. Getting local people engaged with conservation not only increases public support of land trust projects, but brings communities together to protect important landscapes and shows farmers how working with the land trust can change their lives. In the case of one family, one of the earliest projects the land trust worked on, the integrity of a family farm was saved from potential collapse. In the town of Peacham, there was a farm family named Kempton that had a relatively small dairy farm. And their son and daughter-in-law had joined the parents to run this farm. But the farm itself was too small to support two families. Another farm next door came up for sale. Beautiful, long views of the White Mountains, and, and uh, I mean, it was just a, it was an estate property. It was much too expensive for this family, the Kempton family, to purchase. But the land was very logical to put together, and if you had both, both farms together with two houses, you created a viable unit for, for the Kempton family to continue. And what happened was we purchased the development with state assistance, purchased the development rights on both farms. That made the state farm, if you will, the one that was for sale, less expensive to purchase because you would remove the development rights. And it also gave the Kempton family some capital from the sale of development rights on their farm. And it, and it made it affordable for them to put the two farms together. That was 1990. If you look at the farm today, both parents are now gone. The son and daughter-in-law are running it. They've built new barns. They make the, the milk that it goes into the cloth-bound Cabot cheese. They have added more land, and their sons are coming back and working on the farm. When you look at it from almost 30 years later, you, you see what a difference it would make. I once asked George Kempton, who was the father, what would have happened if this transaction had not happened? He said both farms would have been out of business by then. The Land Trust has also created opportunities for those without immediate access to nature to spend time in Vermont landscapes. In Reading, Vermont, Springbrook Farm hosts Farms for City Kids, an educational program that allows kids from urban schools to work, learn, and play on a farm in rural Vermont. This 1,000-acre farm has been conserved with the help of the Land Trust and has been used to connect new generations to land and nature since the 1990s. The owners had said, or the people who gave it to us, said, We'd, we want it to be conserved. We'd like to see it stay a working dairy farm, if possible, although it was in an area where dairy was going out. And we'd like it to give back to the community in some way. And we hooked up with a group that was called Farms for City Kids. Kids, 10, 11 years old, come and live on a farm for a week and, you know, be involved in the chores and see the night sky and, and pick spring wildflowers and, and be involved in sugaring. But it was controversial because nobody, when, when it was first proposed, people weren't sure you know, what this was going to be like. And, and the, so there was a lot of local opposition to it. And, and uh, we kind of got raked through the, the coals. But we persevered. And if you look at it, it's now been 25 plus years. Uh, it's now the largest employer in town. 10,000 
kids have gone through the, the program. The local community supports it. And it's just a wonderful use. I mean, it could easily and uncontroversially have become an estate farm, but it's so much more than that, that you just, you know, that, and that's really what I enjoy is seeing, you know, okay, you conserve the land, but what else happened? And some of that you can see short-term, but a lot of it you, have to, you, you don't really see it for a long time afterwards. So uh, that's the sort of thing that's really kind of very satisfying. All right, well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. With summer around the corner, it's the perfect time to check out some of the natural areas conserved by the Vermont Land Trust. Some of my personal favorites include Centennial Woods in Burlington, Triple Buckets in Richmond, and Mount Mansfield State Forest in Stowe. For more information, check out www.vlt.org. You have been listening to Mud Season, presented by the Center for Research on Vermont. If you are studying Vermont, either as a profession or a hobby, consider applying for membership with the Center for Research on Vermont. It costs nothing and will keep you up to date with the latest Vermont research as well as future podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under username CRVT underscore. This has been Mud Season. See you next time.